Welcome to this week's podcast of The Uneven Road with Dr. Bill Hennessy. As leaders, not all of us are called to the easy places. The roads we're called to travel can be really uneven. Building on his rich experience as a pastor, missionary, educator, and leadership coach, Bill brings encouragement, conversation, and new ideas to help you better communicate Christ's hope to the people you are called to serve. Hey, good Friday to everybody. This is Dr. Bill Hennessy with The Uneven Road, and I am so excited today because I've got a guest with me, R.C. Spruill Jr., who is uh, currently uh, making available his book, Growing Up with R.C., on Amazon.com, but he's much more than just one, uh, one, uh, one book author. He has been a writer, a professor, a conference speaker. He's husband to Lisa, dad to 13 children, and most importantly, a sinner saved by grace. So, um, R.C., many people here will recognize your name, and in your book, um, you describe a fascinating relationship with your dad, R.C. Spurl. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about your story. Well, I'm happy to do so. I'm happy to uh, be with you today. It's a real blessing for me. Uh, you know, I wrote this book, Growing Up with R.C., and it, it's it's uh, probably far too clever. That tends to be a, a writer's problem that the, uh, the width is in parentheses uh, because, of course, I'm R.C. Jr., so I'm growing up as R.C., and I'm growing up with R.C., and uh, I, I started the book uh, soon after my father's passing. He died uh, in uh, December of uh, 2017, and, uh, you know, it's, it's he's, for those who don't know, in, in a, a, a certain wing of the evangelical church, he is a, a very well-respected uh, theologian, one of the most respected theologians uh, in the evangelical world in the last 50 years or so. And I talk about how, because of that respect, he's the question he got more than any other was that unbelievably difficult, uh, challenging question, uh, where does evil come from? And then I say the, the question that I get more than any other, there's not a difficult one, it's what's it like to have R.C. Sproul as your father? Uh, and so in some ways, uh, in writing this book, I'm answering the question, uh, taking the time to answer it more fully than I have in the past, because one of the things that I have always said through the years is, you know, it's a great thing to have R.C. Sproul as my father, not because he's a great theologian, not because he's a great communicator, but because he's a great father. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to shine through in this book was the demonstration of my father's faithfulness. And another thing that I wanted to sh shine through is that there really actually is a connection. Uh, in, in my world, and, and you, you know this, uh, Bill, that, that, how do I put this politely? In, in my, the wing of the evangelical church that I'm familiar with, our propensity is uh, to, to treat theology like a kind of academic subject where we, uh, you know, we put God under our microscope and we lay out all the attributes that we can and we categorize them and, uh, create this taxonomy. And I, I'm in favor of that. I do that myself. I, I've been a theology professor, a systematics professor. I believe in all of that. But one of the things that we miss, of course, is the, the reality that God is real 
and that he actually rules and reigns over all things, that he's actually involved with our lives. And so it's not a abstract, uh, es- esoteric field of study. It's life. You know, the Bible uses that language. To know you, O Lord, is life. And I got to grow up with a father who not only was a brilliant theologian, who could do all that abstract stuff, but who looked at the world around him in theological terms. One of the ways that I describe that is that, you know, my father's regularly praised for his capacity to explain and communicate difficult concepts so that people who are not particularly well-trained can actually understand them. And, and a lot of that comes through illustrations. And people say, where does he come up with these illustrations? And I, I explain to people, it's not like you think. It's not like he has some great big file cabinet, and he has this theological idea in his head, and he sort of you know runs his fingers through the files until he finds just the right story to illustrate this abstract truth. But instead... Uh, when my father's telling the story of, uh, you know, our first dog, uh, and it's applying to his understanding of the holiness of God, it's not because the dog illustrates the holiness of God. It's because when he saw the dog and knew the dog, he was thinking about the holiness of God. It's, it's sort of the reverse of what an illustration does. He's looking at the world through this lens and seeing how the world actually is a manifestation of who God is. And so when I'm growing up, I'm not just getting a, a list of rules. I'm not just getting a, a bunch of ideas. I'm getting my father investing in me uh, and, and, and seeing my weaknesses and my frailties in light of what we know about what the Bible says about what we are and being coached and coaxed uh, uh, t- toward the cross and, and, and driven there uh, so that my upbringing was a gospel upbringing. And uh, I'm just so grateful to him for that. Uh, there's you know, one of the things that, that I was afraid when I wrote this book, I was afraid there might be people out there thinking, oh, here comes uh, another Frankie Schaefer style book. Uh, for your listeners who don't know, Frankie Schaefer is the son of Francis Schaefer, another profoundly respected theologian. But Frankie wrote some books that kind of uh, aired some dirty laundry and uh, really was not kind to either uh, Francis or his m- uh, mom, either Schaefer. You know, your story is so fascinating because people might have an idea growing up with a theologian that you must have had musty smelling air in your house, that the place was filled with uh, books lying on every table and, and uh, someone who could hardly be disturbed, maybe an Indiana Jones dad. Yeah. Uh, I don't get that picture of no, our not at all. You know, uh, I don't get that picture of your mom. In fact, it was a very, uh, very accommodating uh, growing up as you were uh, being given every opportunity to soar and you, you seem to battle. And, you know, the funny thing about it is, and I've noticed this with a lot of people is even though everything was kind of there for you, you still battled with your own uh, self. You battled with whether you were uh, saved, you battled with anger. These things I think are very common to most people. And even in the best of circumstances, we face those. Uh, how have you learned to deal with those kinds of things? Well, first, let me say that you're absolutely right. Um, and let me say this as an encouragement to parents. We have this uh, idea that our children are growing up as this 
conglomeration of their environments and that if we can just give them everything that's right, they're going to turn out right. And of course, the Bible says precisely the opposite. That's not true at all. Uh, as, as my parents sought to be faithful parents and were faithful parents and, and gave me every advantage, one thing that they couldn't do was take away my sin. Uh, that's in me. And wherever they took me, whatever they surrounded me with, it was still in there and still a, a part of me. And, and the reality is when we become adults and we seek to grow in grace and become more like Jesus and to be sanctified, we have the same problem. Uh, we are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's a change. That's wonderful. We don't know, or sin no longer reigns over us. That's wonderful. But we're still in this battle between the old man and the new man, and we're not going to be perfect no matter what we do. And and part of the temptation that the devil brings to us is he, you know, he. it's not the Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. The devil's saying, no, your circumstances made you do it. It's what's outside your control that made you do it. And the reality is that's not true. It's what's inside us that causes us to do what we do. And so, you know, for me, again, the message is to go back to the cross, always go back to the cross. Uh, yesterday, I was, uh, I'm uh, helping a friend write a book, and I was uh, working on one of the chapters. And I talked about something I'm actually talking about in church on Sunday, uh, why Christians still sin. And because we know God has the power to make it stop. We know that he will make it stop when we die. Uh, and so, you know, why are we waiting? Why, why is God not making it stop now? And one of the answers, it's not the whole answer, but one of the answers is we get to recover the joy of our salvation every time we fall into sin. I, I looked at the story of David and Bathsheba, and I talked about how David was a believer. He was a man after God's own heart. He did have all of these blessings. Now, he had hardships too, but he had all of these blessings and God's with him. And then he falls into this grievous sin. And you think, what in the world? How can someone with all these advantages do this? Instead of thinking to ourselves, what about all the advantages I've had and all the sins I've done? Uh, and then not only that, I point out that after this great cataclysmic event in David's life, this great awakening that, you know, for all the blessings that I've had, I've still got an, an old man inside me I'm struggling with. I've fallen to this grievous sin. I've written the most beautiful, poignant uh, Psalm, Psalm 51, ex expressing my sorrow and, and my desire to praise God for his grace and mercy. And then later on, he does this whole census thing. And I talk about how that in Psalm 51, he prays that God will restore the joy of his salvation. What happens is we take it for granted. And when we fall into these dark moments, when we fall into these grievous sins, it is sorrowful. It should be sorrowful. It should break our hearts. But we also get to recover that same joy that came to us the first time we were saved. I am forgiven. I was talking with a, uh, a young lady yesterday, as well, or a couple days ago. Uh, she's considering using me to help her tell her story uh, that includes an abortion. And uh, she's just, of course, struggling with that, dealing with that. And I said to her, you know, and I've been very passionate on this issue and, and active on this issue all of my life. But I said to her, you know, even this, I said, when you die, 
or when we all die. Have you ever wondered about this? How we we all look forward to dying. We're going to go into heaven, but somewhere in this story, between our death and eternity, there's this great white throne judgment. There's this this horrible idea in the Bible. It's actually in there. But, well, I'm going to paraphrase it, where we sort of sit down beside God and watch this movie of our life. And it's just a terrifying thought. But what I said to this sister was, I want you to understand when you're sitting there watching that movie and you see this grievous sin, that grievous sin, this horrible thought, that wicked word, you're going to look at your father and you're going to say to him, and you forgave that? And he's going to to smile down at you and say, oh, yes, my child. It's going to be a celebration of his grace, not a mourning over our sin. And that's true of all of us. Again, that's what my father sent me back to. And that, more than anything, I mean, I, I wanted to tell the story of my father. I wanted to honor him. But I thought that the only way to truly honor him is to have this be a story of God's grace, not a story of how great my dad is. I think that's really interesting because uh, for a lot of people who minister off the beaten path, they're on that uneven road. Every error, every sin, every failure is intensified and there for everyone to see. And so it can become very embarrassing sometimes to be human in those contexts. Yes. I've experienced it myself. I'm sure you have too. But, you know, for the listener today who's ministering in that out-of-the-way place, it's like everyone knows before the dust has settled what exactly took place. And it's well, there. Before think they do. <laughs> yeah, they think they do. And, and you know, that's the, the hard part is, is staying with it then. But, you know, I think the other thing that uh, your story really tells us uh, or has a lesson in it is uh, comparisons. You, your, your dad was not uh, wanting you to be compared to him, I'm sure. Right. He wanted you to be able to stand on your own two feet, gave you every reason to do that. You do that. You've accomplished so many great things in ministry. You're known as an author, a speaker, this, that, the other. But the comparisons still exist. And when you're uh, ministering in a rural context, I think one of the big enemies of our souls, our psyches, if you will, is being compared to those that are in the limelight. Yes. What has your life taught you that you could share in just a couple of minutes with listeners that would encourage them when they're being compared to that national personality? Well, first, let me uh, uh, say this. In the book, I, and I've, I've used this before, uh, so often when I meet people, they want to encourage me and they say, oh, uh, we love you and your father. or We love your father and you. or And, and we're, we're so grateful for your father's teaching. Oh, and, and yours. And I, I always say, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm a, a, a Belgian being thanked by the French for helping the Americans free France from the Germans. You know? I mean, I'm sure the Belgians were a help, but uh, it was the Americans who did the heavy lifting. And I also often describe, you know, that my father and I were in the same line of work, uh, do the same kind of thing in the same sense that uh, a paper airplane and the space shuttle are both man-made flying instruments. I, I want to encourage folks uh, in that rural setting about a couple of things. One, our audience is our Heavenly Father, and He 
sees you and the labors that you pour into his kingdom just as much as he sees someone else. And it is not the case that God says, well, I'm going to increase the reach of all the, the, the better men and keep the lesser men have a smaller reach. The size of your platform is not a reflection of the sanctification of your soul. Uh, I know, I know these guys. Uh, in fact, I, I've, I've often thought about uh, how wonderful it would be to, you know, if I had a, um, say, an institution where I had to name a building or, or name a, a bridge to just name it for all for guys no one ever heard of. Uh, <laughs> you know, not have Jonathan Edwards clock tower, not have, uh, you know, Charles Spurgeon bridge, but just uh, Will Stangy clock tower. Will Stangy is just a godly man that I know that no one ever heard of. Uh, you know, I would love to do something like that to reflect that reality. The second thing I want, you know, what we tend to think is, well, there's a sense in which it's true that, that the people with the bigger platforms do have uh, fences. They have guards. They have people uh, protecting them from the input from the outside world. Now, uh, sometimes we break through those. If, if you, that is, uh, <laughs> maybe I should just give this very practical advice. If you're pining away for a bigger platform, just go Google my name. <laughs> and look through all the websites of all the people who hate me and talk ill about me and about my family, about my wife. They're all over the place. And it's only because I have the name R.C. Sproul in my name. Uh, well, and the fact that they're, it's true that I'm a sinner, just like these folks on the uneven road. Um, so you, you don't get less of that attack. It's less personal. And that maybe is why it's so much harder when you're in that small situation, when you're in that uh, small parish church in the country. And I've done that. Uh, it's heartbreaking that the people that you've invested your lives in when they turn on you, you know, I used to travel around and I would go into oftentimes small churches and, and I would tell the congregation, well, I said, here's what your pastor's not going to tell you. The hardest thing about being a pastor is not the low pay. Now, if you can fix that, fix it. I want you to fix it. It is a problem, but it's not the biggest problem. I said the second, the, the, the biggest problem is not the long hours. But if you can fix that, I want you to fix that and try to fix that. If you, if you have a, a theological question at 10 o'clock on Saturday night, you know, wait until after the sermon and after the service. Don't call them up just then. Uh, give the man some time. I said, the hardest thing of being a pastor is watching the sheep you love banging their heads against the wall and bloodying up their own wool because your pastor loves you. There is so much of a lack of appreciation, so much of a, uh, well, and the appreciation that you want as that pastor in that small church is not, oh, you preach like John Piper, or, oh, you, uh, you know, you, you write as beautifully as C.S. Lewis. It's, the, it's watching your sheep grow and mature, watching them feeding upon God's word, watching them be strengthened. That's what encourages uh, the pastor. And, and 
I, I want to encourage these pastors. What you need to do is you need to be active in preaching to yourself. If you want to have an impact, not a big platform, you want to have an impact, this is what I tell people. If the pastor will preach his own sins, he will hit the sins of the congregation. If the pastor will preach his own dependence on the grace of God, he will teach the congregation to depend upon the grace of God. If the pastor will celebrate the reality that his sins are forgiven, that he's beloved and adopted by his heavenly father, his congregation will do the same thing. Man, this has been incredibly encouraging. And R.C., I can't say thank you enough for joining us today. Again, uh, R.C. Spurl Jr. is the author of Growing Up with R.C. It's available on Amazon.com, as are a number of your other books there. And I would encourage authors or uh, listeners to look for that junior at the end of the title. Otherwise, they might uh, get some of your dad's books there, too. I, I recommend that as well. Right. But, uh, what an exceptional time with you today. And I uh, can't say thank you enough. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. God bless, brother. You too.